Joshua. Mike Krupka, how are you this evening? Doing well, sir. How about you? <laughs> I'm, I'm as good as it can be expected, given that, um, you know, the, the federal government is about to shut down, and uh, we're not sure uh, if the North Koreans are going to nuke Hawaii again this weekend. But all things considered, I, I think that we're in pretty good shape. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I, uh, yeah, let's, 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 uh, we have to save another segment for the whole, uh, <laughs> nuclear scare thing because that was just from another world that was crazy yeah for uh for the people listening the reason that this uh, podcast is going live on the 19th and not around the 11th is because um fake text messages to the state of hawaii basically had uh one mike krupka hiding in his bathtub thinking the ballistic missiles were headed into honolulu <laughs> but we're all uh we're all grateful um not to poke fun at it but we're all grateful that it was just a uh, operator error and that uh it wasn't uh, something a little bit more serious, but um, today we're uh, we're getting together to talk about uh, a little bit of Browns football. We're, we're very grateful that uh, Jeff Lloyd from Lockdown Browns uh, has agreed to host us and to uh, play a podcast. We haven't gotten together to record a Browns podcast in what feels like a decade, but it's probably actually only a couple years. Um, through the years, we've transition from the blog talk radios to the Google voice chats to, uh, to every manner of podcast recording solutions in between. Um, in the meantime, clearly, uh, folks in the know have, have determined, uh, better ways to, to host Brown's football talk, uh, because lockdown Brown's is absolutely killing it. And, uh, and we're just happy to be included with these guys. We're happy to, uh, be talking some football in the off season before the, the real crazy, uh, disinformation season begins. So we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the state of the Browns, and then we're going to roll into some quarterback talk, which is uh, near and dear to Mike's heart and near and dear to my heart. Um, over the years, we've, we've written uh, countless articles and expended uh, so much internet energy into uh, gifts and breakdowns and weighted ranks of quarterbacks. Uh, and, and historically, uh, he and I have not seen <laughs> horribly eye to eye on what's going on. So, I'm excited to get into it. I'm excited to talk about who's out there and what's going on. And I'm sure our, our opinions are going to change a thousand times between now and, and May. But it's, it's good to just kind of talk about uh, the quarterbacks that are out there now that the dust has settled, now that we have the, uh, the, the, the length and breadth of the film that we're going to have available to us to, to evaluate these quarterbacks. Uh, but before we jump into it, I thought we'd talk about State of the Browns. Does that sound okay with you? Yeah, man, that sounds good. I think uh, one of the most important things that we've already uh, agreed upon is that it's it's GIF and not GIF. So just so everyone. <laughs> so I, didn't have to, I didn't think I'd have to deal with this from another computer guy, but apparently we're here now. Um, right. Maybe that's why we're more like in sync now, Josh. I don't know. Because because we've come to grips on, on how to pronounce GIF, but you know. Well, just because we're both computer guys now. But oh, that's true. That's true. You have come over to the dark side. Well. To the to the nerd side, I guess. Uh, between the the last time we've recorded a pod and now, so yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> um, I just want to start out by, by by giving a shout out to Evan Silva's pod. I know you said you were going to get around to, to listening to it. I just finished uh, giving it a second uh, listen. I listened to it this morning on the way to work, and I got to say, his, uh, historically, I, I I haven't given much credit to Evan Silva's Browns analysis, and it's not that he's not an incredible football guy because he is. The guy knows more about the guy's forgotten more about football than I've ever known. But um, 
whenever he gets to talking about the Browns over the years, it's just been like, oh, this stupid organization doing stupid stuff. And, you know, he's probably right in retrospect. Like, the Browns are stupid. They do a lot of dumb stuff. But, um, I don't know. It just it, it always felt like it was needlessly negative, uh, which is something that we, we deal with a lot when we're talking about Jason Lockett Fora and a couple other of the national guys. But he did a... God, it felt like almost a half an hour podcast um, this morning, and it was incredible. I, I highly recommend you look it up, at Evan Silva. He's a Roto World uh, draft analyst, and he gets to talking about some of the transition from uh, Sashi Brown to, to John Dorsey and just the things that uh, Dorsey got served up to him. You know, to use use your volleyball vernacular, this is, this is a guy who got a perfect set uh, right. at the line and is ready to crush it. Um, the, 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 there was a big like anti-nerd bias. There was a big like, oh, uh, these, these, uh, you know, these analytics guys are going to come in and they're going to do this, these, uh, these ridiculous things and they're going to overvalue some players just based on the numbers and the stats. And I'm not going to watch any of the film. And, and it, and it really didn't play out that way. But at the end of the day, um, they got painted as the villains uh, and, and Sashi Brown kind of got jettisoned because of it. And he talked a lot about the situation that John Dorsey is inheriting now. And that is the cap situation, and that is the draft situation. Um, and I think that a lot of – I think most Browns fans, you included, can, can agree um, the draft situation is great. There's a ton of picks, early picks. Two top five picks is almost unprecedented for a GM to walk into. Right. Um, but what's what's not as easy and what's not as agreeable to, to, to national analysts and Browns fans in general is the state of the team itself, the state of the players on the roster and the cap situation. The Browns are are in in my opinion super flush with young talent under under cost controlled circumstances for the next couple of years, um, and and most of that talent is built in the trenches. It's it's offensive line and defensive line, and obviously there's some. Uh, some some gaps there that need to be filled in, but for the most part, he built the scaffolding uh, for the structure that John Dorsey's going to inherit. Um, where do you think? And I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but where do you think that uh, uh, he's going to need to fill in, especially along those trenches? But but just in general, uh, before he even gets into the draft, where do you think that John Dorsey's going to have to plug in uh, to kind of fill in the gaps that that Sashi Brown left over? Yeah, sure. I, I first of all, I, I had said I was going to try, but um, as you said, welcome to the dark side. That that side also takes up your time like you wouldn't believe. And so I, I never got around <laughs> to finishing the whole Evan Silva podcast. I think it was actually it, it may have been over an hour long. It was a quite lengthy one. Yeah, um, it was it's definitely on my on my bookmark list for for tonight. But um, yeah, I would say Sashi Brown did more than just put the scaffolding in place. I think he's got a pretty good foundation in place. And, as you kind of alluded to, got jettisoned. I think um, you know there's there's another side of the whole equation that came out today. Well, at least a, a narrative that came out from Justice. Um, I don't know if you saw that today, but it, it alluded to a group of scouts uh, that have some sort of a, a media outlet as they're in between gigs and they share some information and, and they pretty much took a big dump on on Sashi and said that, you know, Hugh Jackson did in fact want Carson Wentz. And so it's just another spin and another, you know, another thing to think about. I, I, it's just such a, a, a crazy situation. Um, I'm still not really over it. And in terms of what Dorsey needs to do, obviously, number one, it's been stated publicly both by Jimmy Haslam and by Dorsey himself that they need to find a quarterback. I think that is, you know, goes without saying. But they, they seem to be pointing at that. 
Um, I, I don't think that guy's on the roster. We can go into that later. Uh, Do we need to? Uh, no. I don't know. We can't. <laughs> If you want, but yeah, no, I don't think he's on on the roster right now. Is there a subset and, of our audience? Do you think that's sitting out there that is like, no, like the Browns are giving Cart, uh, Cody Kessler enough of a chance? Like Kevin Hogan is the guy, or do you think, like generally speaking, the fan base is just like, let's go, let's get somebody in here who isn't going to make me bang my head against the wall? Pretty much, I think the sentiment is, look, when was the last time we took a quarterback in the top twenty-two? I think that's the number everyone keeps saying. And it's like, so yeah, here we are. We got the first and fourth pick. We got you know some incredible prospects that we'll dive into here on the board. And so don't, don't mess around. Don't get pretty, get your quarterback that you've been waiting for, for decades. Um, and then, you know, bring in a vet and, and do whatever you need to do just to, to solve that piece of, of the puzzle. I think that's the number one piece that we've neglected for so long. And um, at the same time, it, it scares me because Hugh has shown us just how horrible of a coach he is, to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know how much I want a young guy coming in under his tutelage. And it's, uh, it's a double-edged sword, but it, it needs to be addressed. So that would, that's the number one spot. I think there's options for, for, for running back and wide receiver, um, not just at the top of the draft, but throughout the, the, the middle rounds and, and I guess, you know, the, the second and third round. So I, I don't want to rush to address those necessarily. Um, defensive back is another area. Um, and, and actually, you know, maybe uh, the defensive line, I'd like to see a little bit more depth as well. So just off the top of my head, those are, you know, the, the areas I think Dorsey and, and Highsmith and uh, Wolf all have to, you know, get together on and, and figure out what we need to do to, do to address that. You know, it, it sounds cool when you put those names together in, like, sequence. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, like, Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highs- uh, Highsmith and, and John Dorsey are all working together on this problem. Like, this is a problem that's being approached by multiple really smart guys. But let's, let's kind of deconstruct some of the things that you just said. Um, one of the things that the pod focused on very clearly was um, how you kind of overcome the things that you're dealing with with Hugh Jackson. And, and last year we had this like huge schism between uh, what the, you know, kind of to, to, to lack of better terms, the ESPN crowd approaches uh, what's going on in Cleveland. They say, you know, Hugh Jackson was a great coordinator in Cincinnati. I don't understand why he completely came apart of the seams. Like he's a good play caller that just didn't have enough talent. And then you kind of deconstruct what was going on through 16 games last year, and you saw a couple things that were, were common threads. And that's just on the offensive side of the ball, because Hugh Jackson didn't want anything to do with the defense. But what we saw on the offensive side of the ball was a passing game that did nothing to um, to help out the quarterback that was in place. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser was an incredibly raw rookie coming out, and we, we saw a scheme that was basically built, as Evan Silva said, uh, for Carson Palmer. This was a scheme last year that was built for a veteran quarterback that had a lot of, uh, you know, kind of low percentage routes being yep. thrown to the outside to wide receivers who, like, weren't even in the best. And, like, I've defended some of these wide receivers. Like, these, these this wasn't a great group of wide receivers. Uh, and we, we continue to throw balls to the uh, to the boundaries to them, hoping that they would make a play in traffic. And, you know, it the the, the passing game didn't, uh, didn't help out. Deshaun Kaiser one bit and the running game seemed to kind of deliberately work against the talents of the running backs he had. And as much as that, like Crowell continued to run these stretch zone Shanahan scheme yep. uh, runs to the, to the boundary and, and Duke Johnson just wasn't utilized at all. So um, as, as I look at the prospects going into 2018, uh, Silva talked about it. And, and I think that we're kind of in accord that it's, it's a problem trying to project players into a scheme in which the, the coach is kind of, 
deliberately circumventing the talent that the, the coach is, uh, yeah. is is not using the players that he has, regardless of how good they are. And in most cases, they're kind of shitty um, in a way that that doesn't really make any sense. So so we're trying to couple uh, Hugh Jackson's ability to coach these guys up, which I, I want to pretend like the, uh, the 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 quarterback talk that we're going to get into in a little bit wasn't flavored a little bit by those. But but the truth is, is that we're entering a situation where we expect that any quarterback that gets drafted in 2018 by the Browns is going to have to operate that scheme. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that scheme is kind of bananas. Um, yeah, just real quick. I think the, the thing that pops out to me as you're saying that, I don't know if Evan got into this, but it's just that, you know, he was gone on record in the media, you know, in a, in a press conference and said that he doesn't feel that a coach needs to change, you know, his scheme for his players at all. Essentially, you know, he needs a GM to fit players into what he wants to do instead of, hey, let's find these guys that are, you know, whatever they are, Tyree kills. You know, I got to give Dorsey credit for that, although there's a, a number of things about him that I, I you know, didn't like, obviously, with the spotlight on the domestic violence part. But sure. the talent is obviously there. And, you know, I guess my point is you need to be able to be flexible as a coach in the NFL. It's an absolute must, especially around your quarterback especially if you got the number one pick coming in and, you know, maybe he's not a hundred percent your flavor. You need to be able to adjust and adapt and, and make use of the guys you do have to get results and not just, you know, pout about it. So uh, <laughs> just want to, you know, throw that out there because I think that's an important point and, and it certainly influences my outlook on, on the QB situation in Cleveland right now. Sure. I mean, like, I think that the Los Angeles Rams of 2017 is the quintessential example of, we're going to take a, a team that's flawed in certain ways and excels in certain ways. We're going to build a scheme around accentuating what they do well and minimizing what they don't do well. And, and Jared Goff went from being a guy that almost, I don't want to say almost universally, but, but uh, pervasively was considered a bust coming into the 2018 season to being one of the most statistically uh, capable quarterbacks in the 2017 to 2018 season. Like this was a kid who, uh, completely lit the world on fire this year, and it was because Sean McVay designed a scheme that played to his strengths. Exactly. And we, and we look at what Deshaun Kaiser did in college, and we look at what we saw from him in preseason, and we saw an offense that almost unilaterally did the exact opposite. Um, this was a kid that in college uh, had a tendency to hold the ball too long, yep. who made bad decisions when 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 uh, forced to deal with long developing routes, and we designed right. a scheme that almost exclusively played to that to, to that <laughs> setup. Um, <laughs> So, so, so as we get into talking about quarterbacks, um, I'm hoping that we, uh, I'm hoping I per, just personally as a Browns fan, uh, even putting aside the analyst hat, I'm hoping that they, they draft somebody that can fit that scheme because it's, it's patently obvious that in 2018, Hugh Jackson isn't going to modify the playbook that Sean Kaiser played with. I don't think that should they draft a Josh Rosen or a Baker Mayfield or a Lamar Jackson, that the scheme is going to be any different. So we have to look at it kind of through that lens, unfortunately, of who's going to succeed uh, in, in ways that Sean Kaiser failed. Who's going to succeed in a scheme that, that accentuates long running routes, long developing play calls, and, and make the right read, even, even if the scheme isn't set up to help them succeed. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that's uh, as we get into this year, and, and we will in just a second. I think that's uh, that's going to be an important point. And, and I don't want to digress too much, but I, at the same time, I 
I kind of hope that John Dorsey sees into the future, and, and I really hope that this year is 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 a uh, is a year that Jimmy Haslam had to take Hugh Jackson back because of all the years that he's just been jettisoning you know coaches left and right after one and two years. I, I feel like you know that reputation in the league isn't isn't going to warrant or, or get us any sort of serious coaching, and so I think he kind of bit the bullet this year and, and, and said he's going to take Hugh Jackson back. I hope John Dorsey sees beyond just Hugh Jackson, um, and, and as we get into this, he's a, a guy that can can do everything and not just fit a singular, um, you know, uh, mold. So, sure. Yeah. On, on some level, and I, I absolutely hate to say this, on some level, I appreciate that a offensive coordinator who runs a very different kind of scheme that uh, Hugh Jackson is used to wasn't hired. I, I, I am grateful that uh, Sean Ryan out of Houston wasn't hired. I'm to this point grateful that Ben McAdoo hasn't been hired and it is only exclusively because I want to see Hugh rest on his own merits. He, he feels firmly that his playbook uh, that, he, that he's run in 2017, 2018 is, is effective and is only missing the players to execute it. So right. I'd like to see him continue to execute that playbook. Like, forget putting someone in place who's going to change the scheme dramatically. Let him ride or die with it. Let him continue to roll with the scheme that we've seen for the last few years. And it's probably going to be awful. Like, I, I wouldn't expect it to change <laughs> any. But, like, this is the bed you've made. Now go sleep in it. Like, this is... Let's, yeah. Let, let's do it. Um, I agree. I before, agree. Before we move into talking about 2018 draft prospects, can we devote... Three to five minutes to talking about AJ McCarron and the botched AJ McCarron trade. Oh God, I, I wish I could be a fly in the wall, man. That would be just the story. <laughs> I mean, people want to talk about like all-time sports journalism stories. If, if that story ever came out and we ever knew this, the truth, that that would just be fantastic. Yeah, I'm hoping <laughs> that there's a, a thirty for thirty that follows up. That like we're gonna see like the true Hollywood story of like the right. just tire fire that's going on in Berea while this is all going on. And it's, it's funny, man, I bring it up because um, it's approached through one of two lenses. The first lens is, and this is the most common one, which is kind of inexplicable to me. Uh, the first lens is uh, the organization decided for whatever reason, maybe it was peyote, maybe it was like, extra high bud that was in the water. Like they decided that AJ McCarron was worth a second or third round pick. Right. Uh, and everyone came to a consensus on that. And that somehow all right. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Already already we're off we're everybody said yeah, that's that's the guy. What? Yeah, we're, we're already starting at a ridiculous pretense, but <laughs> um we're in a place in which that that has occurred. And somehow Sashi Brown screwed it up. Like through just gross negligence and through inability to, to execute a trade that he's already like kind of orchestrated in five or six different uh, right. fashions. Like this isn't new for him. He's, he's, he's yeah. done this before he's doing it again. Um, but, but he screwed it up again. Uh, and, and, and he's going to get fired because of his gross incompetence. That, that seems to be like the normal party line of what happened. And he kind of, he got fired because of this. He got fired because he did not execute the AJ McCarron trade. And meanwhile, Browns fans <laughs> are like, yes, thank you for fucking up. Like I, we appreciate right. that. This is finally a thing. We finally, like the Browns have finally screwed up in a way that benefits us. Um, and then the lesser to lesser known narrative or the lesser, uh, appreciated narrative is that, um, Sashi Brown kind of weighed everything and said, I can survive this. I'm going to deliberately submarine this trade and I'm not going to execute it. Because it's ridiculous, and I'm not going to give a second and a third round pick to a uh, restricted free agent who really hasn't proven anything and is 
um, objectively kind of horrible on his college game tape. Uh, and and, and the, thank thank you, Sashi, for falling on the sword. That is like the best move of of all time in Browns history. That I mean, for me, I I'd build him a statue if I could. Yeah. That's fantastic. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we should. Five years from now, we're still going to be laughing about like this is the guy who just like completely torpedoed a a, a second and a third round. Like even as it comes out of my mouth, it sounds ridiculous. A second and a third round pick for AJ McCarron for for this is a trade that would have gone for more of a haul than Jimmy Garoppolo. Like the and regardless of how you feel about Jimmy Garoppolo, like he had a great five game stretch down the season in kind of the worst possible conditions. Um, this is a, this, this is a trade that would have brought in more than that. This is a trade that would have recouped more assets for a division rival than that in order to just like kind of assuage Hugh Jackson's need to have a veteran quarterback in the roster. Um, right. and, I, and I think that that storyline is going to be really interesting going forward as the Browns inevitably uh, bring a veteran QB in. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about the veteran QB in a little bit because I think it plays into uh, what they're going to do in 2018. I think it's going to play into who they look yeah. at in the draft and, and who they are willing to draft based on who is available on the market. So uh, are you ready to get into it? Let's do it, man. Let's jump in. Let's jump in. Um, I hate to, I hate to even start out the conversation with uh, Josh Rosen. I, and I'll tell you why, like I hate to start out the conversation with Josh Rosen because he's almost boring. Like he's a guy that <laughs> <laughs> he's a guy that I thought that you and I were going to argue about more until I saw your notes, but he's a guy that um, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't have the exciting YouTube highlight game film that you see from the other quarterback prospects. And some of that is because um, he's just playing in a, in a silly scheme. Some of that is that he's playing behind a crappy offensive line. He missed a lot of games and he's not a guy that leaves the pocket. He's a guy that yep. is almost a throwback. Like in my notes for Josh Rosen, I noted that like, I couldn't remember the last prospect that we evaluated that didn't have some ability to play outside of scheme and play outside the pocket. Like ever since Joe Flacco broke into the league um, and Joe Flacco was a big gangly uncoordinated looking dude who suddenly could move laterally and could, could take the the rushing yards when it was offered. Um, we, we've had prospects ever since that even if they're big guys are expected to come into the league, being able to, to play outside of pocket, being able to scramble, being able to run like a four, eight, four, nine, 40 um, quarterbacks. These days are athletes. Josh Rosen is not, well, he's an athlete, but he's not a scrambler. He's not a guy that's fleet of foot. Right. He's not a guy that can move outside the pocket. Um, so he's kind of a weird study in as much as he's a throwback quarterback to the 80s and 90s when these big, tall, strong arm quarterbacks kind of stood in the pocket, adjusted to pressure, and threw downfield. Um, what did you see when you were looking at Josh Rosen's tape for the first time? I mean, honestly, if you – I strip away all that part of my – you know – Crap! I, I strip away all that crap, right? And and I look at when, when I'm looking at the quarterback, I'm just looking at the quarterback. And man, when I, when I watched Josh Rose first time, I was excited because, like you said, I he is a pure pocket passer. Um, he's fluid. You know, his feet in the pocket are fantastic. Uh, he can avoid the rush. Um, and I don't think for the right scheme and in the right place in in, in the NFL, he's going to have to be a runner. I think he just needs to do enough that if you know he needs to, to leave the pocket and advance it two three yards, fine. You know he's going to slide, he's going to get up, live to see another day, and you know all that good stuff. But I think he's going to live in the pocket because that that's where he thrives. And 
um, I, I didn't know that he was a tennis player. And, you know, so you can see a lot of that lateral agility and keeping, you know, keeping his eyes up. Um, you know, his, his eyes are tied to his feet. And, man, yeah, I, I just – his wide receivers let him down a little bit. Um, he, he does have the, the one dude I forget. Um, is it Lastly? He's a, he's a pretty solid guy. He made a couple big plays um, almost every time I, I, I watch game film from, from Rosen. But, you know, his wide receivers let him down a lot with drops. So I think he missed a lot of those or some of those highlight or, or you know, big games. Like he was, man, he, he just – I think he he has to be probably the best overall quarterback that I've scouted um, in the time that I've been been doing this. I mean, he's one of the best, if not the, the best overall guys when it comes to a, a pure pocket pass. Um, I, I love to talk about Josh Rosen's season ceiling, but I just as much love to talk about Josh Rosen's floor. This is a kid who um, he gets all of the things that scouts look for right. He's a guy who chops his feet in the pocket. He's a guy who throws with anticipation. He's got great velocity coming out of his hands. He's got a compact delivery, like the whole bit. Like when he throws the ball, he's a guy that immediately, you could show the tape to um, somebody who hasn't watched football in five years. And, and he would look at the tape and say like, oh yeah, yeah, this is a guy who can play in the NFL. This is a guy who has traits that translate easily to NFL uh, quarterbacking. And we talked earlier about the marriage of a quarterback to Hugh Jackson. And unfortunately, like there just isn't a guy who throws the deep ball like Josh Rosen does this season. I love the the velocity and the arm talent that Sam Darnold has. I love the uh, deep ball accuracy that Baker Mayfield has, but Josh Rosen just throws an incredible uh, seam route. He, yeah. like, if you're looking for a guy who can, throw, who can run that four verts offense that Hugh Jackson just has an enormous boner for, it's going to be Josh Rosen, uh, hands down. Um, you, you already kind of mentioned all of the things he had to work with. He had uh, one of the worst offensive lines. Oof. Uh, <laughs> it, Oof is right. Oof is right. Uh, one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen. Uh, in the, <laughs> we've been doing this for five or six years. It's just it's terrible. Um, his wide receiver is just constantly dropped everything. And at the end of the day, when you look at his numbers, when you stack them up against the um, – you know, the, the, the comparison against the other top four or five guys in the class, like he's in the top two or three for every counting stat that matters. This is a guy that overcomes wide receivers dropping balls. This is a guy that overcomes a terrible offensive line, a dedication to throwing the ball versus running the ball. This is a guy who overcomes. And when you start to get into the arguments of the guys that we are not interested in, the Josh Allens and the, um, the Rudolphs of the world, the, 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 that's the thing that stands out is that this guy overcomes. Yeah, yeah. What what I would say is he's tough. I mean, he's tough because because his offensive line is, is so um, crappy. <laughs> uh, will, will be nice. Uh, it you know he had to take a lot of hits and he took a lot of hits uh, and delivered the ball accurately to, to all levels of the field. And I guess that's really one of the things that uh, impressed me and and I look for in tape is you know, do the guys stand in there and, and can they deliver? Not just stand in there, but can they actually deliver on the back end because that's what's going to set you apart. And, and he does that. Um, and I mean, let's just talk about it because one, it, it's, it's really hard because you watch the film and again, I get excited, but then I, I sit back and, and I think about it and I think about the, the, the game, you know, the NFL game and the speed and the power and, um, just the different things that are happening, uh, in, in the league with concussions and all that different stuff. And, and that's one of the big things that I worry about with Josh Rosen is like we talked about, he's not, he's not an Uber athlete. Um, and you know, sometimes with that offense, maybe that's the reason why uh, 
when he did get time, I, I don't know. Sometimes he, he held on to the ball in situations and he got hit. And I see that happening in the NFL and I worry that sooner or later he's going to, you know, that's, he had two concussions this season. I, I, the last one reportedly, you know, kept him out three to four weeks. And to me, that just points in a direction. And again, I don't know. We're going to have to wait to see what the medical stuff comes out and teams are going to have to decide. But for me as a, as an armchair GM, that's 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 the thing that that worries me the most. Um, I think his shoulder's fine. I mean, I've had shoulder surgery. It, you know, as long as it goes well and you rehab it fine, it's going to be fine. Mm. Uh, and it's just that's the only thing that that really bothers me about him. And, it, and it's tough because when you watch him, he's he's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you're you're spot on. Like the and and we'll talk about this when we get to the the articles that get posted um, evaluating each of these quarterbacks. But you're you're hitting on the the biggest flaw in Josh Rosen's game is his durability. Um, we've seen, you know, two of his three years in college, we've seen major injuries and this year, two concussions are nothing to, nothing to be squeamish about. Uh, Josh Rosen is, is more than willing to stand in versus the pass rush and deliver a ball downfield with velocity. But he also is very willing to take a shot in the mouth in the process to doing it. And up to this point, uh, it, it's, it's worth, noting that that he hasn't been resilient in the face of those kind of hits and most people aren't uh i i don't mean to to denigrate him as a prospect because of it but it it, it is definitely something to keep in mind um and since we're talking about uh, uh guys who have a tendency to shoot their mouths off i want you to <laughs> sell <laughs> i want you to sell me on baker mayfield and it's not because i don't know what baker mayfield looks like but because i want to hear it again okay um so <clears throat> I guess as I went into the process, you know, I really try, like, and this year's especially, just because of what was really happening in, in my personal life with my certification and all this different stuff that I was doing, I, I didn't really pay attention to the narrative or anybody's stuff that was coming out about anything, really. I, I just haven't been. So I actually watched Baker Mayfield for the first time when I was back home in Cleveland in November. Mm-hmm. I was sitting on my sister's couch, and, you know, it was cold day for me anyways because I'm you know, pussy, I live in Hawaii, and, <laughs> you know, I'm back home, and I have a fire going, and everyone's laughing at me, but, so I'm sitting on the couch and uh, watching Baker Mayfield, and I just remember saying to myself, like, wow, like, if you just took away this dude's height, can he do all the things that you want to see an NFL quarterback do? I admittedly had the, you know, the, the, the answer was yes to me. I, I think he can and yes, I thought he reminded me of Drew Brees. Um, but at the same time, I, I looked at what he can do, and I'm not saying it's it's at the same level because my affinity and my love for one Patrick Mahomes is is unprecedented. But <laughs> yeah, the internet yeah. knows. The internet knows based on the uh, thousands of gifts that are still like, currently slowing down the internet as you. Uh, it, it just absolutely extrapolated your love for Patrick Mahomes. The internet knows that you are in the Mahomes. <laughs> Yeah, there's, I mean, I'm actually proud of it. There, there may be a record of, like, browsers that I crash with. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it, that would, you know, that's pretty cool. No, but I, I, I saw, I see a lot of that, like, playmaking ability with him. In, in other words, he's able to, to, to just respond under pressure, react under pressure, keep his eyes upfield. Um, he's able to hit uh, all sorts of different throws. In fact, I'm going to work up uh, – sending out a, um, a gif right now on Twitter that I want you to take a look at um, in terms of his arm strength and just his ability to, to throw the ball downfield 
not just from a set platform, but from uh, you know out of, out of system, if you will. Uh, he's just got a, a knack for for doing that, and I think he also compensates for his height with his his platforms. Uh, he can throw from from many different platforms. Overall, he's super accurate. Uh, but you know, again, when, when I look at him, I strip away all the off the field crap, and I look at what he does on the field. Uh, his teammates seem to love him. I mean, D.D. Westbrook said he was an alien and, and you know, just as how much he cares about his team and, and the game and, and winning. And, and you can't replace that. And I, I think he has a chip on his shoulder, which you can't replace either. So those things excite me about Baker Mayfield. And, and that one off-the-field incident, okay, it's one. It's not a pattern. Which one, which, which one are we talking about? Like, specifically, make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm on the right track. Which off-field incident? Are we talking about the... The junk grabbing? Are we talking about the cops or? I, well, first of all, I don't care about the crotch grabbing. I don't care about <laughs> lag planting. I don't care about any of that. It doesn't matter to me because I think that gets worked out in the NFL. I mean, I don't think I don't think he's a pure punk like Johnny Manziel was, and when we saw who he really was on the field, off the field, all that stuff. I, I think it's just the, the the physical comparison that people want to say, and, and I don't think it's fair. To be honest, I, I, again, I think he made one mistake off the field. It's documented. It's one mistake, and, and that's it, right? It's not like mm-hmm. he's blowing off firecrackers in his mouth and, and, and laying on swans and doing this <laughs> thing every weekend, right? So yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, so, that, yeah, that, that, that's really where I'm at with Baker Mayfield. And, and in the article, I'll talk about my, my overall grade for him. But, um, you know, he's uh, he's my, my second highest rated quarterback in the draft. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I like him. I think he translates. I, I think he's going to have to go to a system that, that you know, that that works with him. Um, so, again, I don't know if, if Hugh Jackson's the right guy for, for Baker Mayfield, even though a lot of us would – wouldn't mind him or would actually love him. I think we, we both know one guy in particular um, that's leading the, the Baker Mayfield train this year. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I would be thrilled with him. I think he's going to be a very good, um, very good, reliable, you know, almost pro bowl starter in the future. I love it. I love it. And I absolutely. I absolutely hope you're right. I, I feel bad when, when, Baker Mayfield gets comp to Johnny Manziel because I feel like it's unfair to him as a, as both a human being and a prospect. This is a kid who um, in some ways is very similar. This is a guy who's had to win his job, who was a walk-on and had to, to fight his way into the starting job, kind of like Johnny Manziel did, but um, comes from a very different back- background. This isn't a kid who uh, comes from oil money, who is dealing with substance abuse issues, who has the anger management issues that were well-documented before the draft. And in retrospect, uh, hindsight bias uh, are, are very obvious. This is a kid who has worked exceptionally hard to do um, what he's done to date, um, who, who is dealing with the incidents that he's been involved with um, kind of getting blown up as a result of Johnny Manziel. And, and that's kind of unfair. Like, he didn't even play for the same school, um, not even the same conference. This is It's just a... Uh, a, a predilection that that evaluators have and that GMs might have uh, as to dealing with a quarterback who's extra. And I, I love using the word extra to describe John uh, Baker Mayfield because he he's just right. extra. Like the the junk grabbing and the flag planting and the yelling and the passion and the dancing on the sideline. Like it's very polarizing. It's it's something that everybody can't get behind. It's something that personally I could do without. I'm sorry, like, I know that's an unpopular view amongst uh, Cleveland Brown fans who are like, yeah, like, tell the other team what's going on. 
Like I could do without a grown up right. having to do that kind of stuff. If I saw somebody on my flag football team or my rec league basketball team doing that stuff, I'd be like, that guy's kind of extra. That guy's got, <laughs> that guy's got some stuff going on. Uh, and yeah. I don't, I don't love it personally, but what I will not begin to deny is that Baker Mayfield, the prospect in 2018, 119, 2018 is twice the prospect that Johnny Manziel was as far as his passing accuracy and his ability to execute offensive concepts. Uh, my, my only concern for him going forward and literally it's a small concern. Like it's not a big thing is that he played in an incredible system with incredible talent behind a great offensive line. I don't care that he's six foot tall. I don't really even totally care that he's kind of immature. I do care that life was made easy for him in, uh, in the league. Um, and even against good defenses, it just didn't seem like he had to kind of fit the throws in that the other three or four top quarterbacks had. And that, and it's a minor complaint. I recognize that. But it just seemed like Rosen and Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold just kind of had to work harder for it. They had to work harder in an offense to make things happen. And that's it's a minor complaint, but um, I, I wish I would have seen Mayfield deal with a little bit more adversity um, in his last year at Oklahoma. Like, I wish I would have had to see him um, – play behind a crappy offensive line and play with wide receivers who are dropping the ball. Like how are you, how are you going to handle that adversity? And, and I think that unfortunately that moment's passed and we're going to find out in the NFL um, when he's playing in front of a, a terrible pass rush that, that that's giving him the same action that Georgia did in the playoffs and see how he responds to that. Yeah. I think, I think my first reaction to that was almost like, dude, Josh, he's a, he's a walk on. He had a fight for everything. You know, he yeah. comes from, he comes from nothing. He's, you know, he's like, he's got that chip on his shoulder. Everyone's been telling him he can't do it his whole life. And he's out to prove everybody wrong his whole life. Um, but then I sit back and I listen a little bit more in depth to what you're saying. And, and I get it. And I think um, what I see that that translates to what you're saying is while he throws with anticipation at times, he doesn't do it all the time because he doesn't need to. It doesn't yeah. seem like. Um, and he can kind of give that extra, that extra hop before you know, or an extra, you know, hop at the end of his hitch before he delivers the ball. He can wait for someone to be open. Whereas I see other guys that are uh, slinging it into open windows with anticipation before the wide receiver breaks, which again, that, that jump that he needs to make there is going to be significant. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, and, and I'm, I'm regardless, the, the, the Baker Mayfield situation in some ways is very similar to 2014 for me and that like I'm really excited to see what he does at the next level. I'm really excited to see if he gets onto a team with a coach who can utilize that talent, a coach who can make the offense work for him um, the same way that uh, Sean Payton absolutely engineered an offense that makes Drew Brees a uh, destroyer of worlds. Like I would love to see that happen for Baker, Baker Mayfield and see him utilize that way. It is still very interesting to me um, to wrap up the Baker Mayfield conversation, um, to see him mocked in the places he is. Like, he's kind of universally considered uh, a mid-first round, early second round guy versus, like, a lock top ten guy. And for right. for a dude that has the kind of uh, passing statistics that he had in college, for a dude who historically is one of the most efficient and dynamic college playmakers we've ever seen, it's really interesting that he's not uh, considered a lock for the top five, top six picks for a draft that has as many quarterback needy teams as there are. There's about nine or there's about nine teams out there that are either yep. like very explicitly drafting a quarterback this year or acquiring one in free agency 
or would love to upgrade give me options. So, so nine teams out of 32 guys, like it is weird to me that a guy who just absolutely destroyed college football the way that Baker Mayfield did isn't universally considered a, 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 a pick for one of the top two or three of them. So, so we'll, we'll be interested to see how that plays out. Um, yeah. I, I, I'd like to get into what we could literally spend an hour talking about now, and, and you know where I'm going with this. Um, I, I want to talk about the Lamar Jackson phenomenon. Uh, All right, let's do it. Let's go, with, <laughs> let's go with Lamar first. Let's go with Lamar first. All right. Let's go with Lamar first. Um, Lamar Jackson, in the same vein that Baker Mayfield is a guy that I don't totally understand the reaction to, Lamar Jackson is on a, the next level of guys that I just, I really don't, I, I don't get. Dude, he's a, he's a wide receiver. Come on, man. <laughs> I don't, uh, uh, <laughs> honestly, on, like, he, can, he, can, he can catch balls and return puck. Come on. He can do it all. I've, I've, you know, it's, it's funny to joke about this, but like I literally have seen guys who've been attached to the NFL for 20, 25 years use that language today. In the last like two three days, I've seen people talk about um, finding a place in an NFL offense fit Lamar Jackson. This is a kid, <laughs> right? I know a place for him. <laughs> this is a kid who, in in three years of playing for University of Louisville, has not only tore off more yards and, and accounted for more offense than uh, guys who were prohibitive top five picks like Saquon Barkley on the ground, but is also compared very favorably to all of the guys we've already discussed as far as passing offense. This is a guy who statistically is in the top three of the league in catchable passes in third down conversions and in fourth down, fourth quarter score, um, which like, obviously like we can't, distill like the, the 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 whole of the Lamar Jackson experience into a couple different stat lines say these are the things that matter um obviously the sub 60 percent completion percentage sucks obviously there's some things that we don't love but this is a guy that um does everything passing that the top quarterbacks that we're looking at do to a greater or lesser extent and also has the skills of an elite top five NFL running back this is, like, this is Michael Vick version 2.0 and say what you want about running quarterbacks, but this guy's an incredible quarterbacking prospect. And I think that most NFL evaluators would say at this point that if you put Lamar Jackson in the right scheme, if you put Lamar Jackson in front of an offensive coordinator who can bring the most out of that skill set, I mean, we saw what Deshaun Watson did in Houston this last year. And I don't think many people are willing to think that there's anything physically that Lamar Jackson can't outperform Deshaun Watson for. So give me your take on Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I mean, anybody who even wants to mention him to be anything other than a quarterback is just absurd. And it's just, I don't know. I, I just, I'll say good day to you. And I just don't want to talk <laughs> about Lamar Jackson. I mean, if we're talking about Lamar Jackson, we're going to talk about him as a quarterback because that's yes. what he is. Yes. Uh, I, I, I look at him and, and he is extremely raw. Um, he is obviously young, productive, and, and I think in the same way as Baker Mayfield is, and in the same way Josh Rosen is. There's there's so many stats that you can cherry pick for all these guys that set them apart or, or show you that they are special because a lot of the all of them are really, and we haven't even talked about Sam Darnold yet. So 
all of these guys are, are, are special in their own regard. Um, but when I look at Lamar Jackson, I mean, he, he has a vast NFL tool chest of, of throws. Uh, he's got an ultra-compact arm, uh, powerful. I mean, he's got one of the strongest arms in the class, I think, um, just by what I see, uh, you know, how, how the ball explodes out of his hand, um, just the, the short motion, the compact motion that he needs to do it, um, and that quick release that he has. It's, it's just – that is an NFL-level type of, type of arm. Um, obviously, you know, he can run with the best of them. He's got more, uh, more yards than Barkley and obviously, you know, he, he can be schemed into that if you want him to. Uh, but at the same time, you see him take hits under pressure. You see him deliver passes, uh, accurately. Um, I think what he really needs to work on is his ability to throw outside the numbers. And I think I, mm-hmm. you, you had asked me, I think via text leading up to this, you were like, Oh, so I really love Lamar Jackson. And I, and I was saying, you know, what I noticed a lot about him is, and, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, or maybe this is a product of his scheme or just the players that, that he, you know, he had around him. But I noticed that he often was a, was a one-read type of guy, and if it wasn't there, he was thrown to the, to the running back a, a lot. Um, and, and I thought a lot of the times when he did get in trouble, or, or really just in general, a lot of his throws are in the middle of the field. So I'm not saying he can't throw it outside the numbers, but – I didn't see as much of that timing and anticipation uh, in throwing guys open or throwing to certain spots, um, which is more of a, a pinpoint and timing accuracy type of thing, as I did with the other other quarterbacks. Um, I think again, if you put him, if you give him a good supporting cast, a good offensive line, and, and you, you draft him, really, he's a first round quarterback for me. But you draft him, and and I think just like I argue with anybody about this, really. I think a lot of quarterbacks need to sit, whether it's for six games or whatever, but they need to understand that the true flavor of the NFL and, and how defenses work and the speed that, that that's happening, and they need to be able to recall and understand plays without without thinking. And I think when Lamar Jackson isn't thinking, he's a he's just a phenomenal quarterback. So I think the trick is to get him to that point in the NFL with all the different complexities that are going to be coming his way. Uh, but overall, I mean, with all that he's asked to do, he takes care of the ball, and he's just a, a dynamic individual from what I understand. He was, he was really motivated to be great. So it, it's hard to pass up on him. Uh, I guess a lot of people are, is what I'm trying to say. You know, he's, not, he's not in the conversation for enough people. But I think with the Browns, maybe we get a veteran that comes in, and maybe a guy like this is a guy that Dorsey, Dorsey pegs to – in that situation, right, in the situation where we don't go quarterback number one because we have a vet like Alex Smith or whoever that comes in to take over the reins, this is a guy that could sit and develop, I think, on any team or the Browns for a year or so before you let him loose. Yeah, so I agree with that. I, I, let, me, let me throw out my, my, my thoughts on Lamar Jackson real quick. Number one, cool. um, I agree with you that he's a guy that's going to be best served uh, getting used to the speed of the NFL game, playing behind a veteran. I think that uh, most quarterbacks coming out, the Mitchell Trubisky's, the uh, Deshaun Watsons, I think most of these guys are, are, are best served playing behind somebody. I think Deshaun Kaiser would have been, more than anybody, really, really well suited playing behind somebody in a scheme that he can get used to. Um, Lamar Jackson is a guy who came out, and they didn't even know who's going to be a quarterback. There were three quarterbacks on the Louisville roster um, ahead of him. Um, and so when they picked him up out of high school, they expected that he would be an athlete on the team. They'd find a place to put him, but he wasn't in the immediate plans to play quarterback. He forced his way onto the squad by both being able to quickly grasp the concepts in the playbook 
and to work with the coaching staff to to develop a role doing that. So so this is a kid who worked tirelessly with the coaches who would not let the coaches off the hook, who completely grinded the playbook, uh, was was killing it in practice, who who worked, who put in the extra mile to learn a playbook for the first time because in high school he didn't even have one. Um, and he forced his way out of the roster. He's a guy that's going to put in the extra time and effort to learn the position. Um, didn't he? Didn't he like wake up his coach every day at six a.m. or something? Yeah, to study just the- like horribly obnoxious stuff. Like his entire uh, early college career is littered with him just like badgering the crap out of the Louisville quarterbacks, uh, quarterback coach, head coach. Like they 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 wouldn't let him off the hook. Um, he works tirelessly at his craft. Um, what you said uh, about. Uh, not throwing outside the numbers is absolutely correct. Um, he's he's a guy that um, in Rick Pitino's scheme, they tended to run quarterback uh, con- uh, offensive concepts in levels where they would isolate a part of the field, then they would stack receivers at different parts in the field uh, to make sure that he always had a read. Here's your short, medium, long-range read. Um, and if he didn't see first or second that were open, um, he always had the option to be able to take off and run because that was always an easy – uh, five, six yards. The problem is that it was detrimental to his growth. Uh, a, a, a kid who can run like Lamar Jackson does isn't incentivized to be able to go through second or third reads and get to um, get to that deep downfield route. And yet, when you look at Lamar Jackson's uh, film, and I'm, and I'm going to talk about this a lot in the article that's forthcoming, um, he was a guy that, that would hang in and that would get that downfield throughout. Um, he did utilize the, the middle of the field, the intermediate parts of the field. He's got a good uh, arm to throw the deep ball that isn't always uh, as accurate as the other top three guys in the class, but um, he isn't a guy that uh, evaluates the first read and then runs, which is something that we see a lot at the college level. And it isn't something that we saw at all, even in the early years of Lamar Jackson's development. So every year they've, they've put more responsibility on him. They've, they've yeah. asked him to do more throwing the ball and do less running the ball. And he's responded to that. I have no reason to suggest that in two or three years in the NFL that that wouldn't also continue. Um, he's a guy that's, that that has great touch on the ball, that has a great velocity when he has his mechanics together, but that also has a hard time keeping the lower half of his body uh, communicating with the upper half of his body. You talked a lot about uh, Josh Rosen's feet being tied to his eyes. Uh, Lamar Jackson needs to work on that, and that's something that we kind of expect when we're dealing with a kid who can run and throw the way he does. He's a guy that if he's treated correctly and he's put in a system that can accentuate his strengths and let him uh, slowly learn and, and play those strengths, that he's going to murder this league. And we're going to play this podcast in 10 years <laughs> and we're going to be like, why were people equivocating about a talent like Lamar Jackson? If he goes to a team right. that uh, deserves him, he's going to he's gonna slay. He's going to absolutely slay. I, I agree, Mr. Uh, Mr. Modern Day Terminology over there. He's going to slay. <laughs> He's gonna, yeah, he's gonna kill it. He's gonna slay. No, he's gonna crush. He is. He, is. He, he does have some things to work on. That, that that gap is, you know, as minimal as it is. If you're looking at him from a potential standpoint versus what he is today, that I think that's where people might differ. Yeah. Um, but he does have a gap between the others, and and again, I think he can overcome it. And so that's just the the the, the gamble or the understanding that GMs are gonna have to have when, when they look at him and decide, you know, is this guy gonna be above these other guys in, in two or three years? Can we wait to take him at, uh, you know, the, the middle of the first or the beginning of the second or whatever it might be? Here, here's my issue with that. We look at guys like Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and we say, like, this guy, these guys have all the traits that we're looking for. These guys have 
good arms plus athleticism. They play outside the pocket well, yada, yada, yada. They're just guys that need some time to grow at the NFL level. And we saw last year with Mitchell Trubisky going number two overall, the NFL isn't afraid to take a gamble on guys who yeah. aren't ready to play day one, guys who, yeah, who don't have a ton of college experience and need to, need to refine their game. So I look at a guy like Lamar Jackson, I say, this guy has all the same traits. This guy has a great arm, incredible athleticism. He's a hard worker. He has uh, he has shown a predilection to uh, uh, digest the complicated defensive concepts that have been fed to him. He's willing to take on more and more responsibility every year. If we're going to draft a guy that's a traits guy that we need to develop, why is he the third guy on the list? And I'm not asking you for an answer to that question because I think I already know it. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, All right. and, and, and it's perfect that we are ending the Lamar Jackson conversation about traits without production before we move into the last guy on our short list, who is Sam Darnold. Um, I'm going to turn Sam Darnold over to you because you are writing the comprehensive almanac of Sam Darnoldisms. Uh, but he is a guy that I love to watch. I love to see what Sam Darnold is going to do on any given Saturday because, um, the Rose Bowl last year against Penn State was one of the most exciting college football games I've ever seen in my entire life, and, and, and that was exclusively because of Sam Darnold. This is a kid who physically and mentally can do absolutely everything on a football field, and uh, he can do it from within the pocket or outside the pocket. He has incredible talent to throw with both precision and uh, accuracy, um, but is also a kid who I think is a traits-based uh, draft pick. And, and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree with that, uh, in, in, in your time to speak about Sam Darnold. Don't, don't blaspheme Sam Darnold, Josh. <laughs> I'm not here for that. All right. I'm not here for that tonight. No. Um, actually, you know, it, I don't know when, when, when I look at Sam Darnold, there's like, I don't know if you watch uh, black mirror, but he reminds me of, uh, the guy in the first, uh, first episode of season four of black mirror. Um, he, he reminds me also of, uh, of, of a dude that's beating up uh, the kids in Christmas Story, oh. and then, you know, if you can get past the, the my, my point is, if you can get past the the, the red hair again, strip, strip for, away all, all the stuff. See, I thought for uh, sure you were going to bring up uh, Fulton Reed from Mighty Ducks because he's a dead ringer for one of the Bash brothers from the Mighty Ducks. Ah, I, I I let you down. Next time, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to work on those references. Um, but no, Sam Darnold, man, I I. I I've been blown away by him. I, I, I've made fun of his loop-de-loop, uh, Hot Wheels, you know, car, <laughs> car loop motion and throwing thing that he has got going on. And um, yeah, I mean, I, it, I've I've seen some of the interceptions he's thrown, and it's kind of just turned me sour. And I've tweeted a bunch of it too. I, I've said so. Sure. Like he he just he he makes some decisions and some some things that 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 irk you. Um, but I think when you look at the when, when I looked at and like you said, I mean that that game, uh, the Rose Bowl game last year was, I mean was phenomenal talk, talk about excitement right it's yes it's, and then and so this year i think there was obviously a, a certain level of the expectation that you had on his progress and i think what you got to realize what everyone has to realize not you josh is that you know progress isn't always linear you know there's 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 going to be ups and downs in progress um i think when you look at his, his totality when i looked at all of his games i, I was very very impressed i mean i, I think when you talk about guys that can can throw guys open and, and put the ball in, in a place where the wide receiver barely has to move his hands, um, when you talk about a guy that can deliver the ball before a wide receiver even hits his break, 
he turns around and it's right there, or it's on his back shoulder, uh, are just those absolute wow type um, type moments where he he's not. I hate to say this because right, he's 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 on that team, right? But he, he makes those like plays, you know, those extended plays, like a certain uh, number seven that wears black and yellow, and <sighs> is now at home because he's not uh, he's not in the playoffs. But <laughs> my my point is. He doesn't remind me of him. My point is he can do those types of things after a play breaks down, mm-hmm. um, which I think are special. And I think his accuracy is, is phenomenal. Um, I think what, what happens is he, he makes some of those, I have to make a play, I'm forcing myself to make a play type of, of decisions that obviously turn into interceptions. Um, I think some of those can be coached out of him, much like I thought and, and still believe some of those and some of that mentality can be coached out of guys like Patrick Mahomes because I think it's encouraged in college uh, in some of those schemes. So I think, again, he, he's a guy that is going to win on the chalkboard. He's a smart guy. But I think you can coach some of those things out of him. But the, the upside and the, the, the plays that he can make from the pocket and, and escaping the pocket are just they, – they floored me. I, I was uh, – he's definitely uh, a first-round quarterback without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, you have a choice to draft to, to set your rankings of the top three quarterbacks yep. from last year and this year. We talked about this oh. a little bit earlier. Who are your top three guys? From last year and this year? Yes, sir. Okay. And we're talking – okay, so if I were to pull up the draft grades right now, um, it would be Josh Rosen, uh, Pat Mahomes, and then – I have to go back and see who the number three, number number three quarterback was. Um, it was either going to be, in, in my estimation right now, it was either going to be Trubisky, or it would be one of the guys this year. Whether that's Baker Mayfield, I think I think it would have been Baker Mayfield. So we're Pat Mahomes, Josh Rosen, Pat Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, in that order. Yep. Right on. Uh, that's what I would have. That's what I would have had based on the grades that I have. So if I were to tweet out all three of the grades, I think those would be one, two, three. I love that you. Uh, I love that your grading system. I'm. I'm really excited for uh, people who haven't seen your work at Dogs by Nature um, to see how you break down the grading system for each individual quarterback. I think it's brilliant. I think you did a great job with it. Hey, thanks, man. I gotta. I gotta give credit to uh, to Kyle Krabs and NDT Scouting. He's he's the guy that I work the most with on that. And so he's really helped me uh, with that, but it, it, it helps to be able to have a system, right? And you learn from it and all that good stuff. So. Sure. Sure. And I love, I love, I, again, like shout out to NDT scouting. I've loved his work this year with, uh, with the draft eligible quarterbacks in 2018. He's done a great job. Yep. So, well, that's it. I, I think that what about you, what, what, I mean, so I, I told you about Sam Darnold. I know you said a little bit, but I mean, there's gotta be some stuff that you don't like about him. I mean, all you said was good stuff. You stole my thunder and now you're just going to, Going to slide out without saying anything else? I was going to slide out, and I'll tell you why I was going to slide out. I was going to slide. I like to slide out on. I slid out last year on Pat Mahomes, and I'm going to slide out this year on Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield because they are difficult quarterbacks to tie down. And I know that's a cop out, but um, they're they're difficult quarterbacks to say I'm out on these guys because even though I think that they have fundamental flaws, uh, in the case of Sam Darnold, is. Um, some of the throws that he makes to me uh, are very reminiscent of what I saw from Kaiser at Notre Dame and in his first year with the Browns. He's a guy that he throws more inexplicable interceptions than, than any uh, number one overall pick quarterback I've ever seen in my life. And that isn't to say that 
he doesn't have incredible arm talent or he doesn't have the ability to um, move deftly in the pocket and be able to create things on the run because he's one of the most creative quarterbacks I've seen uh, in the five or six years we've been doing this. But um, he's a guy that I'm not completely uh, sold on the ability to execute from the pocket and to be able to run a normal standard NFL offense. Um, and, and so I'm very excited to see what happens. I am most uh, assuredly behind uh, Sam Darnold playing behind a veteran quarterback, whether that is a Tyrod Taylor type, a Kirk Cousins type, or a Alex Smith type, or wherever he may land, because make no bones about it, he's going to be a top 10 guy. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that he gets the opportunity to, to, to learn from these veterans and to be able to correct some of these errors. And so that's that's why we talk about Sam Darnold constantly, whether it's on Twitter or here. I'm, I'm just kind of hoping that he gets a chance to be who he should be. Because Pat Mahomes is getting that option right now. He's playing with a great coach and a great scheme, and he got a year to adjust and to acclimate. And, and maybe he would have been great this year nonetheless, but he was a guy that as I watched the Texas Tech tape, I saw a guy who threw off his back foot a lot, who worked outside of the scheme a lot, and, and I love the fact that they're maximizing his success by teaching him to play within the scheme at first and then create uh, um, on his own second. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's where Adam is. Right on. <laughs> so, um, again, like I just want to use this opportunity to, to, to shout out the four people who are still listening. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you to Draft Browns and Jeff Lloyd for, uh, for putting us on. And um, I know these things are, are kind of a shifting sand. Um, so so we, our, our, our takes and our opinion may change after – Guys go through the interview process of the combine, and as uh, guys go through that process, and um, I encourage all the people that are listening to this podcast to go ahead and read the uh, articles at dogsbynature.com that we're about to put up. It's going to break down the the thoughts and proce- processes that we went through in grading these quarterbacks at a much more granular level, at a much more uh, detailed um, introspection level. So, uh, Mike, do you have any closing thoughts? No, Josh, I, I appreciate you uh, collaborating with me on this uh, fun endeavor. It's, it's been a good time, and uh, I think, obviously, quarterback is the, 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 the main focus here. But, uh, yeah, I just want to thank uh, thank, thank uh, Jeff over at uh, Lockdown Browns for, for putting us on and uh, look forward to maybe a couple more conversations here before draft season, Josh. Yeah, man, I've missed talking to you about this kind of Browns football stuff. This is the best part of being a Browns fan because the rest of it is just pretty much objectively trash. Exactly. Right on. (laughs) We'll take it easy, brother. We'll talk soon. All right, guys. Take it easy. Bye.